Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're finishing the Throne of Fire. Uh yeah, this this kind of snuck up on me, not gonna lie. You just you forgot? No, I I mean I was expecting there to be at least one other set of reading after this. Just like in terms of where the story was at and pacing and such. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It has an interesting ending in that way. I feel like we'll definitely talk about some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, we're prepared in every other way. Uh, for instance, Jay, you definitely have the summaries written, right? I do. Yay. I do. I'm not even... I didn't even have to uh, pull my usual trick, which is to say, hey, Jacqueline, want to watch the new overanalyzing Avatar? And then like watch it with one eye on the screen while I like desperately hammer out the rest of the summaries. <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter 21. Carter. We buy some time. While Carter despairs over their hopeless situation, he gets a pep talk from Horus, who tells him that he's a general and that he cannot show despair. The gang put Ra in the boat and set off for the seventh house, Osiris's domain, where they can at least chill out with their parents before Apophis kills them all. There are some old man antics from Ra as they pass through the fifth and sixth houses as well as several cheering dead people who are glad to see the sun god is back. When they reach the seventh house, Carter, Sadie, Bez, and Ra have a nice meal with the Elder Canes, who have whipped up a replica of the house in LA to try and help the kids feel better. Osiris slash Julius also reveals that he has a plan. He's invited Khonsu, the god of the moon and time, who will be happy to gamble with the gang in exchange for reversing time a few hours. Carter, Sadie, and Bez bet their souls against the three hours they'll need from Konsu, and at first the game goes pretty well for them. Unfortunately, a bit of terrible luck forces Bez to sacrifice his soul for the sake of the kids that he's grown so fond of. And while Carter and Sadie eventually win their three hours, they're down their only godly ally going into the final battle. Trying to contain their grief, they set off to confront Menchikov. Chapter 22. Carter. Friends in the Strangest Places. When they get to Apophis' prison, Menshikov is waiting for them, and after some brief verbal sparring, the fight begins. Carter summons a physical version of his combat avatar, and Sadie uses a big magic bird to try and hold off Menshikov and his demon army, while she reads from the Book of Ra. Unfortunately, Menshikov drops drops another bombshell on the canes. The last aspect of Ra, the beetle Kepri, is the final thing holding Apophis' prison together. Pulling him out will cause the whole thing to collapse and finally unleash the god, who will completely take over Menshikov's body. This is kind of a weird thing to want, but it finally clicks for Carter that Menshikov must have been under Apophis' control for ages now, and that the actual human being buried in there just wants someone to kill him and end his suffering. During this lull in the fighting, someone rocks up who may do just that. Michel Desjardins, old and haggard but grimly determined. Menshikov tries to convince the Canes that the only way to survive the upcoming apocalypse is to fuse with Isis and Horus again, then kill Dejaden as an offering to Apophis, in the hope that he'll show them mercy. He also offers to hand over Walt's cure in exchange for a surrender, but Carter refuses, ultimately uh, rejecting his vision of chaos as basically just selfishness. 
The fighting begins again as Dejardin duels Menchikov, Carter holds off the demons, and Sadie keeps reading from the Book of Ra. Finally, she retrieves the beetle, and at that moment, Menchikov slams Dejardin into the boat so hard that he smashes a railing, crumples, and stops moving. Before the kids can make it back to the boat with the beetle and restore Ra, Menchikov becomes fully possessed by Apophis, and blows both of them up, knocking them down for a while. He goes in for the kill against Ra, but at the last second, Dejardin leaps in, kicks his teeth in, and performs an execration against Apophis, the same erasure magic we saw Menchikov use on a demon earlier. This effort will only delay Apophis, and Dejardin is killed by the effort, but it gives Carter and Sadie enough time to get on the boat and sail out of the Duard and into New York's harbour, right as the sun begins to rise. Chapter 23, Sadie. We throw a wild house party. Ra's boat arriving causes a twin sunrise that even the mortals notice, but thankfully the gang quickly get out of sight by flying the boat into Brooklyn House's protections, where there's a huge battle between Menchikov's death squad and the magicians. The Urei, the flying snakes of Ra that were in the enemy group, flip sides when they recognize their old master. Carter and Sadie are also able to help push back the enemies for a little while, and they meet up with Walt and Zia. Ra, for some reason, walks up to them and offers them the golden bug with his third aspect in it. Sadie realises something. Ra has been old man babbling about zebras and weasels for the past several chapters, and it's been very irritating. But what if he was actually trying to say Zia and Walt? For the rest of the battle, Ra refuses to leave the pair's side. The battle goes pretty well, even Jazz is up and about and helping. Amos in particular looks reinvigorated at full strength for the first time since Set first possessed him. However, just as the enemy magicians start trying to portal out, Isis tells Sadie to stop them, and tell them the truth. She magically compels them to listen to her, and tells them everything that Menchikov has done, and that Apophis is free. They need to work together now. Some of the magicians actually take them up on the sales pitch, but Jacoby and Kwai, the Antarctica and North, North Korea exiles respectively, bail with a few stragglers, believing that Carter and Sadie murdered Dejardin and Menchikov. Ra also ascends to the heavens, and Bast escorts him so that he can be taken to the other gods. We also get a new chief lecture of the House of Life. With the other two whose names I'm sick of saying dead, Amos is the most powerful magician in the house, and so he has to take the mantle of the leader. Chapter 24. Sadie. I make an impossible promise. Zia and Amos depart to the first gnome to try and lock down the lectureship before things get out of control and Carter parts on amicable, amicable if uncertain terms with his one-time flame. Bast then rocks up and takes Carter and Sadie to the Hall of the Gods, where still senile Ra is ruling over them, all of whom are now extremely pissed at the Canes. However, no gods are more pissed than Isis and Horus, who got shoved out of power by this move, and they both threaten to do some very, very horrible things to the Canes if they lose the war, or even if Ra doesn't turn out to be instrumental to victory. After this, Bass takes the kids to see Bez, who is in the Sunny Acres retirement home in the Duart, unable to speak or even really comprehend what's going on around him. Tawaret rips into Bast and claims that she manipulated him and forced him to get himself killed over his stupid crush on her, and Sadie promises that they'll somehow fix Bez's soul. The two then head back to Brooklyn House, where Sadie has a chat with Walt. Among a bit, a bit of a heart-to-heart about their relationship and uh, dealing with like all the failures that Sadie's had over the course of the story, uh, he also encourages her to record another tape with Carter to set the record straight and try to unify the other magicians behind Amos for when Apophis recovers from the blow Dejardin dealt him. Carter appears after he leaves and gives Sadie her birthday present at last. 
the old science textbook their mum used to read to them. After some reminiscing, Sadie breaks out the tape recorder, and they get to work. <sighs> so, what do you think of these chapters? What does it mean for a story? What does it mean for a story to have an ending? Really, <laughs> this is this is my question. Is it not enough for there to be an old man who eats a bug, and for a snake to be trapped underground, but not really, and for gods to be mad at you, and for you know, for the main villain to blatantly be unresolved at the end, and for a you know a pair of siblings to hug? Is, is this <laughs> is this not all we want out of an ending? <laughs> Yeah, it it was fine, I guess. It's fine. It feels very rushed. Yeah, I I don't know if it feels rushed or if it feels like okay, Rick knows exactly what the third book is going to be and has set it up so like the third book so that the third book is going to like start with a bang, but this one isn't necessarily going to like it's kind of sacrificing some yeah, of the like importance of an ending maybe for setup i don't know i was gonna say that that's wonderful rick please finish the book that you are currently writing before you move on to the next one i mean this this has been a problem even in percy jackson sometimes uh, yeah that's true at, at their worst those books would kind of end on like uh cliffhangers like this yeah and there's nothing wrong with cliffhangers but this one is kind of like remarkably uninspiring it's less like like the cliffhanger at the end of, say, Sea of Monsters. That's like, Thalia comes back, that has like huge immediate implications and also sets up stuff going forward. Here it kind of feels like the story just kind of stops. Yeah, the cliffhanger here is that the main villain does escape, and he's not like been defeated, but he's just been like stalled for a little bit. And I guess like the sub the sub conflict there is that Amos is now going to be the chief lector, but like a lot of people aren't into it. So I just don't. I don't. It's not the best. There there are a lot of good things to this ending for sure. Like oh yeah, there's parts I enjoyed in these chapters. Absolutely, but I just wish it was like better. <laughs> like I feel like kind of a fool for being out here in the streets being like okay you know i get that it kind of is like raw raw isn't that impressive right now but he'll have his moment when like they go through the fucking when they finish their journey he'll you know shine like a rising king or whatever (laughs) and being like oh you know when apophis rises if if apophis did rise that would surely mean the end of the world so they'll have to like you know they'll have to deal with this in a certain way and i i don't know it's i uh, egg on my face i guess I don't like it as a big plot device. I do really like the scene where Apophis gets sealed. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, chapter 22 is everything I wanted from Dejaden in this book. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, he gets to come in and do the heroic save in the middle of the fight, then gets to have, like, easily the best death in the series so far. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, Bez, I know you just died one chapter ago and it was really sad. But Dejardin just kind of clowned on you with his amazing, like, destroying a god temporarily. That's the thing, is that everything here works, I would say, moment to moment. Mm-hmm. When you step back, though, it does, it's, it's kind of underwhelming. I, I feel like maybe the best way to imagine this book is, like, it's pretty much entirely held together by its own forward momentum. Yeah. As soon as you tap the brakes, everything flies out of the windshield and hits a tree. Maybe there's a reason like that you just have all three books as one book. Yeah, I guess that's true. 
like this has some like this in many respects this is a lot better than the first king chronicles book right in many respects but it's still got that like middle book syndrome not not the exact same thing of like oh it's it's trying to live up to the because it doesn't have like the first book didn't have that like hype exactly Mm -hmm. and so it's not like trying to like be just as good as the red pyramid but there's just something that about would be it. very difficult. Yeah, there's just something about it that's lacking. I I'm gonna come in with my hot take. Uh, my hot take is that I think Red Pyramid was better. Really? I think Red Pyramid had some pretty crippling problems, but I do feel like it kind of came together at the end. Like we started actually getting interesting thematic stuff in those last few chapters. We got a decent final confrontation with Set. He dramatically improved as a villain in those in his like last few appearances. I don't know. Maybe it's just the Red Pyramid left me with like a nicer taste in my mouth. That's yeah, yeah. No, I see what you mean. Like like you said, Red Pyramid ends a lot nicer. It also feels a lot more like a finished book. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, glad it's not just me that thinks that. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. Like, this just does not feel like a good ending. And, like, so much of that is just that, like, I don't know. Red Pyramid was, what, 40 chapters? Yeah. Um, This was 24 chapters. I don't think it's necessarily, like, I don't think it was a bad idea to make it, like, shorter. Is it much shorter? I thought the, cha- the chapters were longer. The chapters are longer is the thing. But I think there is, like, a, it's it's a little bit shorter, I believe. Okay. I don't think that's like the main thing here. It's not necessarily like the shorter length that kills this book. It's just that it doesn't feel like Rick knew how to end the middle chapter. Yeah, it really doesn't. And maybe, maybe to an extent, it's not like, I don't know. Maybe I'll look more fondly on this when we get to the third book, but I I, I would want to look fondly on it now is actually what I want to do as a reader. I wonder if the problem is like, because in theory we should have like a self-contained narrative that wraps up with broader implications for the future, because the villain of this book fucking died. Yeah. And I wonder if it's just that Menshikov is just such a like non-presence that kind of makes it, it necessarily draws the focus to the stuff with Apophis more. I don't think, was Menshikov that bad a villain? Like He was just kind of flat to me. Yeah. Yeah, there were some, I don't, uh, like, I thought, he was, like, I feel like what what was being gone for here was, like, a more hardcore villain, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's scary, he's gonna scare the kids with his messed up face, and, like, he's gonna kill demons and erase them from this world. Also nice uh, tying the execration back into it, Rick. Uh, pretty, pretty good stuff. Yeah, that, but, that's a good setup and payoff, I'll give you that. But he just didn't quite land as well as, like... I like, Set didn't land for me for most of the book, but he at least had a good ending. I know, Set, like... Set face-planted for most of it and then landed in a decent place. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> and Apophis... Apophis just isn't interesting. Apophis could be really interesting, but just isn't. Apophis is uh, everything we accuse Set of being before Set got some characterization. Okay, so there's the specific line in chapter 
There's this specific line in chapter 22. Chaos is impatient. It's random. And above all, it's selfish. It tears down everything just for the sake of change, feeding on itself in constant hunger. But chaos can also be appealing. It tempts you to believe that nothing matters but what you want. And there was so much I wanted. That's, that's, uh, that's like, who is that? That's Carter being tempted by just like the force of Apophis. And Carter, Rick, just fucking say evil. You mean evil. That's exactly it. You could replace every instance of chaos in this book with evil, and it wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> this is this is my big gripe. I just don't think that there's anything interesting. None of the like big picture concepts being played with here are being used in an interesting way. It, at most, they're being used in like a very like annoying. In, like, a very annoying way. Like, I just wish you would be more straightforward about it. I feel like this is some shit you would hear about, like, fucking Kratos. Not Kratos. What's his name? Oh, God. Uh, Kronos. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And I just... I don't know. Nothing, Nothing here is inspiring to me. Like, I think... I think Apophis who is still being treated as like a weird chaos god here as opposed to like any like and I know I know that like I need to like I know that I need to back up from any like actual actual like care being put into any of these ideas uh or research <laughs> or like you know significant research or thought but Apophis isn't a god and it's just like weird Oof. to me that it feels like he is being treated like like it's like base level, I guess. And it just feels like he may as well be an, a really evil one that got trapped under the ground. I guess that's, that's uh, once again, a strike for the, um, the slightly wanky author's note that comes afterwards. Yeah. But once again, it's like Rick in character is the person compiling this saying, Oh yes. All the stuff that they're talking about is very accurate. Whoever was talking about it must have done a lot of research. Mm. That didn't annoy me the first book. It really <laughs> annoyed me here because it's 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 Rick Riordan as you know the 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 fictionalized author saying that you know, um, oh well the cane it, and this it's it's annoying to me because it doesn't make any sense. It's him saying, oh, all the factual details in here are correct. Like, these things do exist. These events did take place. And, like, historically, you know, these gods did exist, you know, to people. Um, Mm -hmm. None of that is, like, evidence that these events happened. In fact, specifically, like, there are, like, things in here, like, oh, there's no evidence that a Vladimir Menshikov ever existed. There's no... Like, there are multiple things that are like, oh, you know, obviously this didn't happen. So unless, like, unless book three has fake Rick Riordan coming out, fucking Dark Tower style to meet the Canes, and it's it's revealed, like, that he has some secret connection where that's the reason why he's just assuming it's all real, I just don't get why it's here. We are once again ragging on the framing device. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and the, like, again, there are moments where it works even within these chapters. Like, I think that, you know, Carter, there's like a little bit of that interplay of like, oh, they're wrapping up the story. And you can actually kind of feel that in how they're talking in the framing, like outside, outside of the recording, which I do think is an element that is like, I appreciate that being there. Like, you can feel that they're like winding down. 
Um, and that like, even though this is a very affecting, like at the time that it, like they can now talk about it and stuff. I I also really like the uh, moment in the, in chapter 23 where Sadie is like, oh, you're handing me the recorder. Well, I'm just going to finish the story now, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's just, that feels very her. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and there's also the part with Carter. He's like, oh, and I definitely didn't sob the entire time I was digging through the sand. <laughs> Like that's there. There are these little moments where I think the framing device does pay off, but it's not. And I'm going to say this again. There are concepts here, like the framing device that are being used and introduced, but are largely being used kind of like half-assed, I guess. I wonder if here's the thing is that we're getting the moment to moment stuff that we do want from a Rick Riordan book. Uh huh. Like there, there are funny jokes in here. The moment in the battle where, like, the woman who is exiled from Antarctica like freaks out when she sees penguins. Okay, I specifically—that's that's extremely funny. Yeah, I specifically said like last episode that if that event happened, this book would like secure at least like a B plus, and I'm giving it the B plus for that. <laughs> but yeah, we got we got funny jokes. We have emotional stuff in the moments, but on a macro level, it just feels like it feels so messy. Yeah. And almost like maybe like even stream of consciousness. Yeah, because like while I do think that the final battle and stuff, like, oh, it's nice to hear that all this stuff is paying off. It's definitely one, it's not as good a battle as like the training montage at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um two, I don't I just don't think it's very good. Um, like I don't I don't find I don't find any of the like moment to moment action there particularly like interesting or compelling or like suspenseful or any of these words that would hopefully you know you would want to happen in like a big action scene yeah because i and i I wonder why like is it because they they come in part way through so we're not as like invested i I think it's like it's a problem that the stuff with menchikov and apophis has as well which is like the action has a really bad sense of place like the magical fight in particular, it feels like that's just like happening in a void. Uh huh. The the narrative moves so fast through it that there's not really any like interesting use of terrain. You don't get a sense of where like characters are relative to each other. It's just I looked over there and proper noun was doing this thing. And I looked over there and other name that we recognize uh, was throwing a penguin. I the most interesting use of terrain, like in the Apophis fight was when they like buried Menshikov in the sand and like glassed him. That part was cool. I'll give it that. And then the only other time it really came up was when he, when he exploded out and Sadie got buried. Um, For Brooklyn house, you're right. It's just like very blah. There are no like interesting details. We, the only time that like the state of the whole thing has really gone into is after the battle. And I think that a big weird house in Brooklyn could be a really cool like uh, f- place for a big fight to happen. I wonder if Rick is from about 10 years in the past deliberately trying to antagonize us. How so? Because one, one of the parts that we really liked in book one was like the extended sequence of Carter and Sadie just like trying to fix up the house, trying to you know use their limited magic to do that, keep Amos on his feet. Uh, and in this, the house is repaired in, like, a paragraph, like, almost uh-huh. throw away. <laughs> uh-huh. And 
it, it does kind of feel like that. I get why it happens because there are yeah. like 10 times as many people there now. Mm-hmm. But come on. I don't know. I just, I wish there was the, okay. If I had to say like that there was like a button to this story, that there was like a one nice shiny button, it's the scene near the end where like Carter comes in after Sadie talks to Walt and they like hug it out. Listen, I really like Carter and Sadie. I, these are good characters. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, the, actually, I'll, I'll I'll give, like, I was almost, I wasn't, like, almost in tears at them, like, at Carter giving her, like, the mom's book and then reading through it. I think that almost does match, like, the level of kind of emotion and care that was put into, um, that was put into like fixing up the house. It kind of feels like that mm-hmm. went now into like them reading through the book. I can see that. The part that I that did kind of make me cry was the specific line um, when they went to visit Bez, and when Sadie was like, he let himself die so he could get an extra hour. And yeah, that that bit does hit. Yeah, and I it's honestly like getting me it's kind of getting me misty eyed right now thinking about <laughs> i i like should we go back and talk about like sort of the the konsu the konsu bit I was about to say we barely adjust chapter 21 yeah i think we should a couple of interesting things about this chapter right off the bat uh we we have the return of an old rick ryden trope that we haven't seen in a little while uh-huh which is uh, rick ryden child protagonist seriously considers suicide uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> welcome back welcome back weirdly common trope in these books yeah that's um that's there's like okay so there's a moment during and uh this is another like last episode we talked about this but there's egg on jacqueline's face but this time for a different reason (laughs) i was like oh maybe the thing where the the i i mixed up which gods were doing what thoth was the one who gambled and uh it was it was uh, not who was pregnant not isis um and konsu konsu was the konsu was the one not both so well, you know if, if it's any consolation it's shared egg because i unquestioningly believed you without you doing know, any of my own research that's fair i try and say things <laughs> so that you unquestionably believe me <laughs> unquestionable blah 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 uh but yeah i really like konsu yeah same He's a fun little one-off villain. Probably, probably the best line he has is when, like, he's being introduced and Bez is like saying, "Oh no, this guy—he—he he was evil back in the day. He used to consume other people's souls." And he replies, "Oh, that's ridiculous. I haven't devoured a soul in what month is it, Mark?" <laughs> yeah, that's that's like Rick Riordan knows how to do like comedy. Yeah, it's it's such it's such a good use of like because so often the stuff we hear about these gods is like, oh, two thousand years ago I got in a river and punched a crocodile, so it really catches you off guard to hear that like, oh no, this guy was eating people a few weeks ago. So much of the stuff with the Egyptian gods is that like, oh, they've got these big cycles they're kind of trapped in and they repeat the patterns over and over again. In a way, wait a second, okay, now I'm discovering themes as I speak. In a way, oh. everything with Bess is kind of about him breaking out of his own cycle, if you think about it. Oh. Just like him, like, he decides like, oh, maybe I don't just have to like try and go after Bast all the time. Maybe I should apologize to Tawaret. Maybe I should like you know, try and, like, get out of my sort of, like, 
post-traumatic funk, I guess. Like, I mean, you know, simply deciding, you know, you know what I mean to say. <laughs> yeah, no, he, I get it. He, and I think like some of that is like maybe that's a little bit tied up in that like God's repeating patterns um, but Konsu just is like he, he feels kind of removed from that like he feels like he just feels like a guy who sucks and has been sucking since fucking 1997 yeah no he's lit- he literally refuses to give them like the extra time for free just to be a dick yeah, and he's like he's fun enough that I'm willing to let him off with that. <laughs> yeah, this is there is one annoying bit where he's like, and this is only annoying to me. I understand where he's like, oh, I'll be a lieutenant of Apophis after Ra is eaten, and just like there's a part of my brain that is like, that's not how it should be. This should be an entropy story. This should be about everything in the world ending. But no, Apophis is just Kronos 2.0, but with chaos instead of evil, find it replaced in the document. Yeah, and it's not its not even a fucking metaphor for, like, it's not even, like, a kind of, you know, variably handled metaphor about, like, the rise of fascism within, like, liberal movements or anything like that. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just becomes chaos evil. Uh, but Konsu rules. Uh, the battle, the battle, quote-unquote, this is like another sudden payoff. Uh, Sadie is very good at Semet, which is the game they play. Uh, we were I was introduced- trying to find it, the fucking name of it, and I couldn't, so I just dodged around it in the summaries. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, they play the game Semet, uh, which is like supposed to be like a lost to history, and which is also the game mm-hmm. they played in the hotel room a, few, a while back. Um, and best is sacrifice. Yeah, uh, I guess the reason that I got off on this tangent is because Carter con- considers sacrificing himself because he considers himself the least important one of all of them, which is like really interesting. I mean, I can see his his train of thought. Sadie has the book, and having a god watching her back would probably be like just straight up more powerful than having Carter around. So I can see why he thinks that. Yeah, definitely. It does kind of feel like a trend in these chapters of Carter undervaluing himself. Um, because there's also a different that's, part. That's true. Because there's also a different part where he assumes a giant fucking Birdman form, like not the Avatar, just like he becomes a giant, just like he becomes a giant Birdman. Mm-hmm. And then Sadie does something else, which is admittedly cool, which is like transform her staff into a giant bird. And then he's like, "Oh, Sadie always has to show me up." Like, does he, does he not realize that it's pretty cool to turn into a giant bird man, probably a little bit more cool than turning a staff into a bird, which, like, has been done before? It's possible that he was just, like, his confidence got knocked a bit when Sadie was like, what the fuck are you doing? Which, to be fair, she's never seen him turn into a big fleshy bird monster before, so I feel like that's a justified reaction. Certainly, certainly. Ah, uh, but, I don't know. Um, oh, they get to see their parents again, too. They do. They, I don't know. This bit's fine. Yeah, there's nothing especially inspiring about it. Like, they get they get to see their parents. It's kind of it's kind of like a tender moment. You can see, you can see the growing disconnect there. That like, oh, definitely. Their their parents are like, they o- they can only connect to Carter and Sadie through the past now. They can't connect through the- to them almost in oh, any yeah. way. Yeah, that's a really good point. The way they like they replicate the house from L.A. All the food is like taken from birthday parties or something. 
like they recognize all of it yeah the birthday party the birthday cake they blew up when they were like when sadie turned like six or whatever um and in a way i think that is really interesting that's that's like oh that's the like now that they've passed on you know they're out completely out of their kid's life they can no longer like connect with them on that on they can they really can only connect with them on that level but there's not there's not necessarily like enough gone into that of like to like yeah it doesn't bring it into focus like sufficiently for me to have noticed that until you pointed it out to me yeah the one moment i think that does it's when like they just can't help sadie at like sadie just like breaks down and they just like can't really help her with it um like with her despair Mm -hmm. and that kind of brings it into focus for me a bit but i guess maybe that'll maybe that'll become something really interesting eventually i mean maybe they they will eventually realize that uh, both the parents are huge assholes Uh (laughs) uh-huh (laughs) <laughs> how so wait how so uh for like manipulating their entire lives to force them to like take part in this weird cult shit you know fair uh, point <laughs> constantly putting them in mortal danger for their like agenda yeah yeah that's true like also who reads their kid like a fucking college 101 textbook to sleep every night come on <laughs> I was actually thinking about this because I was like, when after Bez got killed, basically, I was thinking like Carter and Sadie feel like way more traumatized than like Percy ever did, and that's because Percy went through five books worth of shit, and these guys feel more traumatized after two. Uh huh. And I was wondering if that's maybe because like, for all the like horror and danger that Percy ran into, he always like chose to go back to Camp Half Blood. Yeah. Like, it was always an active decision to get involved with that shit for him. Whereas Carter and Sadie really have not at any juncture been given a proper choice about any of this. They've just been, like, thrown in at the deep end by circumstances, and they're having to make the best of it that they can. No, it's important to remember that this has been, like, a couple of months since book one also. And if we're comparing to Percy, he has, like, a year between every book. That's also true. Um, and not only that, but these kids just, like, aren't tethered to anything quite the same way that, like, Percy gets to be. Percy has, like, a really, not, like, a wonderful home life, but he has, like, ultimately a really kind of fulfilling home life, uh, where he, like, has a mother who loves him and, like, a, like, a, just, like, a place to come back to, basically. Yeah, um, all of the Kane surrogate parents are people they met a couple of months ago. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This is and and that they uh they don't even have like a camp half blood really because yeah they they can't go there they can't go to Brooklyn House and just be kids they have to go to Brooklyn House and teach a bunch of kids they at the end of the book Carter has to go to Brooklyn House and be the leader of the twenty first gnome yeah exactly um and <laughs> it's a little bit. I don't, I, you know, I don't want to invoke this too lightly, even though we do it every third episode. It's a little <laughs> bit the Harry Potter thing. We're like, <laughs> in Harry Potter, Harry is just like constantly trying to find new dads to collect. Oh. <laughs> they are, they're just collecting new parents every book. They really are. Amos and Bast in the last one, Bez in this one. Uh, even like, 
I don't know. I feel like there is even more to an extent. Like you can maybe even say like Dejardin is like, I said that really fucking, uh, you could even say like <laughs> Dejardin maybe is like kind of like an, a, like an angry stepdad. Uh, <laughs> Roz, like your fucking, when your grand Roz, like the mirror version of Sadie being raised by her grandparents, but he's like an old grandpa who doesn't, isn't able to take care of the world. Uh, Horace and Isis are kind of like their parents. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, so I, I don't know. It's it doesn't. I like. I don't know. I don't have any. I guess I don't have anything more to say on that. It's just interesting. Yeah, definitely. Like, just it feel it feels like they're going through a lot, and I'm not sure if it's entirely intentional. <laughs> As much as it's just like a result of the the setup for this story. Hey, speaking of things that definitely aren't intentional, uh-huh. uh, I mean, speaking of things that may or may not be intentional, uh, there's okay, Zia Zebra. I completely understand this. Walt to Weasel is that's 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 not right. They're fucking uh, reaching no, that, for things. Yeah, there. I feel like. You know what? I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna think of something that would be closer to Walt before I open my mouth and say that there's something that you could use that's much easier. Wallaby. Vault. Could be vault. Uh. Um. Wall. Could, yeah, could be wall. Just, he's talking about <laughs> fucking walls. <laughs> um. Ball. <laughs> I mean, it was probably just like they wanted a wacky animal. Yeah, like this is haha, funny old senile person. Uh, he he says he wants a weasel cookie, and that's what makes Apophis. That's what makes Apophis back up. Once again, a very fucking weird dissonance between like bears being like, "Oh yeah, ha, we love it when mortals laugh at us as we go senile." Thanks a fucking bunch, Sadie, when she's like making fun of him. Uh-huh. And then the book also constantly playing Ra's senility for laughs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean even in even when Bez says that, Sadie's like or Carter, whoever it is. I guess it's probably Carter actually by that point. Carter uh-huh. is like, Oh, but he only said that because he was feeling bad. <laughs> like can't, can't he just say that? Because like I don't I don't know. It's it's I don't know. This book has a strong this book has you we were you were right when you identified this as existing in the land of lol xd random funny cheese <laughs> uh, because that's all that raw is so far i mean my my fucking rick ride and pattern recognition was going completely insane every time he opened his mouth because like we've been reading these books non-stop for almost a year now uh-huh i know that if someone keeps saying something supposedly incidental it's going to turn out to actually be him like saying like a mythical word or someone's name or something in a slightly weird way. Uh-huh. And I, I get that this is probably just a syndrome of me having read so many of these, but I did feel a bit like, just fucking get on with it. Stop dragging this out, Rick. Yeah, lo and behold, you were right. <laughs> the thing, The thing is, is that nothing... Okay, actually... What I'll say is that nothing with Raw necessarily comes to a satisfying conclusion. I really continue to like what's going on with the gods here. 
Yeah, I definitely like the rest of the gods. Was there what specific bits did you like? Well, especially with Horus and Isis. And mm-hmm. I think I think that we've been undervaluing undervaluing some of the complexity of the many like sides of this conflict. Um because what we've been talking about is like, oh, what if there is an antagonistic force who what who like had like similar goals but were like respectful? You know, we kind of wanted that out of like the house of life, basically. Mm-hmm. Um what we're getting here, we're getting something here which is pretty interesting, which is like I don't know how to what the opposite of antagonistic, like a helpful force, a force that is on their side, but is also like this is this is what I wanted this to become with Horus and Isis. Like the gods are on their side, but they will kill you if you don't do things their way. Like this is th- they're butting heads from the same side of the aisle. Yeah, definitely. Like I mean, I think it says a lot the um set is just like chilling in the hall of the gods. Yeah. Like I think that's probably a good sign of like the lack of principles that the gods have and how like power hungry they are. That like as soon as they're not in direct conflict with him, he's back in. Right. Like on one hand, I think that's like I think that's oh, all these gods are here, even the ones who are antagonistic before. In a sense, that represents like oh, they're presenting a united front, you know, now against Apophis. On the other hand, on the other hand. I think that's like, it's like you said, it's showing that like, oh, there is this great force of gods. And even though Carter and Sadie have been working towards like reuniting the gods in the house of life, um, they are still a dangerous force. Mm-hmm. So I think in, in like, it's kind of a, the first book sets up, oh, like we need to split off from the House of Life and we need to like restore, we, we need to restore divine magic to becoming a thing. The second one is kind of coloring that. It's it's not changing the path necessarily, but it's showing what the stakes really are to do that. And so I, I really can appreciate that from this ending. Yeah, it gives us a taste of maybe why Iskandar banned it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they are absolutely playing with fire. Horus is, like, straight up threatens to kill Carter if this whole thing goes wrong. Yeah, and I think that that was a good choice. Because throughout the entire first book, we had Horus and Carter as basically, like, co-main characters. Sadie and Isis, Mm -hmm. too. So I think that it was a good choice to have them, like, pretty directly go up to Carter and Sadie, respectively, and be like, we're with you on this for now, but if you fuck up you're going down you know now that i think about it it is kind of weird that horus has gone from hey it's my birthday wish me happy birthday to i will swat you like a fucking gnat i guess that could be like i mean what we're always it's it's probably more a case of just like you know back then he and carter were definitely on the same side and now carter has done something to explicitly fuck him over yeah, it's kind of like we were talking about how him saying that was kind of showing his not not like his temperament, but he was kind of like not taking anything seriously. Mm-hmm. I, I guess now what we're seeing is what he takes seriously. Yeah, and that's like 
that's his that's his path to being the like the leader that's his path to taking over where ra was where osiris was true and that's actually a pretty nice contrast to carter who is also dealing with a lot of like i guess like the conflicts of whether to of like how much to step up and become a leader etc etc yeah he does seem to be kind of becoming great man theory a bit oh well it's uh, chapter 21 osiris is like uh you know i i know that it's dangerous to let the kids gamble with the moon god but it was a very difficult decision and i had to make it and carter is like ah that's what i need to grow up and be the person who can uh, sit in the chair and make the really hard decisions as a leader that nobody else can. Yeah, multiple times Carter refers to people as being more like a general than he is. Mm-hmm. He he talks about like he talks about his dad Osiris, uh, also known as Julius Cain. Uh, like he talks about his dad making that decision and not showing like fear, and compares that to being a general. And he also shows Horus like presenting presenting a certain like demeanor to the world um and he compares that to being a general and so it does seem like he is like it does seem like what he is doing is not rejecting the place of power that people want him to be in it seems Mm -hmm. like he's trying to build like well okay at the very least it seems that he's being influenced by everyone wanting that for him even if that is not his ultimate goal right definitely also, I just realized, um, like, one quick fix that could have been made to this whole thing to make the whole, like, drifting apart from the parents things, like, way more explicit and effective. Uh-huh. Like, just have the kids be a bit concerned that their dad uh, brought along a guy who they might lose their souls to. Uh-huh. Look into his eyes to ask him about it, and then have a second where they wonder how much of what they're looking at is Osiris and how much is Julius that's really good actually like there is kind of a moment like that there's a moment where like oh they see their dad but they also see osiris like fully behind Mm -hmm. him that doesn't i don't think that's placed quite as well as it could be i think it should be what you said um because like you're right that he literally is like well i brought him here because i knew you would have to do this and that's just like kind of i mean obviously but that's just kind of a fucked up thing to put on your kids right it really is and like yeah it's the only way to like save the world but still you could show a little bit more remorse about it yeah definitely and so yeah i i completely agree with what you're saying oh uh world war ii's back okay It's not in any significant capacity, thankfully, but uh, we're on World War II watch, and it's appeared again. Please, please uh, elaborate. Uh, in, in Amongst Bez's memories, uh, we see a memory of him in a U.S. Army uniform shooting Nazis. Oh, oh, you're right. Oh, no, right. it's shooting a demon in a Nazi uniform. That's what it was. Rick, Rick, Rick. On the one hand, uh, thank you, Bez, very based. On... The other hand, it's very strange and confusing to start throwing the Egyptian gods into a conflict that was already like, oh, this is this was like all about the Greek gods. Yeah, yeah, that's true, isn't it? <laughs> How many other pantheons were in the mix here? I guess you have it wa- to assume most of it. It was a fucking world. Yeah, war. I was just gonna say it was a <laughs> world war, so I guess that's fair. But you know, I was gonna say if Bez really wanted to kill Nazis, he should have been fighting on the 
the side of the soldiers who actually killed the most Nazis in World War II. But I guess he probably <laughs> didn't want to go to, back to Russia at that point. You know, I you know what? I feel that's fair. I think we can give him a pass for that one. Yeah, we can. Listen, <laughs> he, he's a little traumatized. A little bit traumatized. As a treat. No. As an anti-treat. Exactly. Ah, ha, ha. What else? What else? So Amos, Amos is going to become the new chief lector. Is that interesting? Not really. I mean, I like Amos, but he's hardly been in this book. Uh-huh. I mean, how did last book end? Amos decides he has to leave because he has a big, like, thing. <laughs> Fuck. Like, it's not exactly <laughs> the same, but the, the fucking patterns emerge here, folks. Yeah. Fuck. And, you know. I didn't even notice that, but you're right. Unfortunately, some of our hopes have been dashed as to other patterns. Amos was not suspicious this book. Uh, who's to say if who's to say if uh, next book Menshikov will come back and maybe he'll have someone whispering in his ear? Um, no, no, that was just paid off earlier than we thought it would be because it turns out Menshikov did fucking have somebody whispering in his ear. It was Apophis. Yeah, but that's like <laughs> that's not interesting. True. Hey, we didn't say it had to be interesting. We just said it had to happen. I guess that's true. Patterns do emerge. We've we've unlocked the secret to how Rick Riordan writes books. We don't need to read anymore. <laughs> what was the third one? There was like a third thing. Oh, it was. I think it was going to be like Zia dies again, and it's real to be like another Shabti. Oh, that yeah, that did not happen. Unfortunately, that did not happen. Oh, here's okay. Um, here's something that threw me a little bit. At one point, uh. Sadie says. Like, oh, Zia looked just like she did when we were at the museum. Oh, but that was actually a Shabti. It's pretty confusing, isn't it? No, it wasn't, was it? Not really. I mean, no, not was it. Not only was it not confusing, it wasn't a Shabti there, was it? I think she means the Brooklyn Museum, or the, the one in New York that they went to. That feels like a stretch. Well, no, because the, the first time they meet her in the British Museum is when she's like, let's kill them. And then the, the, the time where they actually meet her properly is when Bast takes them into Manhattan to that museum. Okay, I guess that's fair. And she helps them fight a fucking circuit. I guess that's fair. Maybe it is confusing then. Sadie was right. Yeah, correct. Ah, uh, anything else? I, okay, I like Konsu. Uh-huh. I, I still am fervently of the opinion that Carter and Sadie should have like gone to like the absolute depths of the duart to like just like the edge of the chaos. Found a mysterious shadowy time god <laughs> and done like like swapped like the time reversal for like healing it with some sort of magic who is which his enemies couldn't account for because it's from a different pantheon. So that he can return in a matter of decades as opposed to centuries. That's a really fun idea. I think I think that also gives us a good segue um, to talking about the next book. Mm-hmm. Next book, uh, The Serpent's Shadow. Uh, I, I've kept a little secret from you, from you, Jane, and I don't know how oh. you'll feel about this. Um, okay. So I've I, I kind of tried to arrange this sort of in like the loose timeline that it happens, but ultimately I just kind of um, I kind of placed it so that you know we would be reading these books sequentially and not have to like skip through series or anything. Yeah, not having to go back and forth between Heroes of Olympus and this. Yeah. 
after we we already know that the red pyramid takes place after the last hero the first book in the heroes of olympus um Mm -hmm. the serpent's shadow also takes place after the entire rest of the heroes of olympus series god fucking damn it so i think next time that we return here we're in for a little time skip oh god wait which one's the crossover one uh that is um so you're thinking of uh i think it's called demigods and magicians that takes place after after the serpent's shadow after the heroes of Uh, olympus before the trials of apollo all right so that'll be maybe maybe that's when they'll meet chronos that's when fucking what's his face the used chariot salesman will come back and be the main villain oh fucking fuck what's his name i don't remember what was his name i love that character why don't i remember his name was it like brutes it was two weeks ago that's why we don't remember that's right it was it was way too long ago for anybody to reasonably remember <laughs> mad claude that was it oh yeah mad claude i i hope he comes back yeah i like him uh and i, I yeah, that's 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 the the dream team of villains for the crossover is uh fucked up punished chronos mad claude <laughs> and doughboy god doughboy needs to come <laughs> back soon i i want him here what what's in I, this i'm genuinely like increasingly confused and concerned about like does rick even remember that what happened he remembers it it's in his back pocket what why do you think apophis went down like a punk he's he, he didn't have his main servant there doughboy <laughs> <laughs> god well i think that does it for the throne of fire what do we think of this book uh moment to moment it's okay but like on a structural level i think it's even more of a mess than red pyramid i don't know if i fully agree with you there but like i i agree with the sentiment at least (laughs) it's it's been a mess to read because I really have loved so much of it. Like there are so many parts that I have super enjoyed. Oh yeah. No, there's good shit in here, but it just, it doesn't feel cohesive enough. And I want a nice cohesive little book. I can munch on. (laughs) Reject frog, become goat. (laughs) Listen, (laughs) frogs can munch a little as a treat. (laughs) Uh, do you have any you have any final words before we sign out? Oh yeah, wait, one last thing, one last gripe. Okay. Uh, they tried to ally up with the Boxing Day tsunami motherfucker. Uh-huh. Wait, uh huh. I. Hmm? Which okay, which which was which of the magicians was that? Uh, that's uh Jacoby, the one who was uh exiled to Antarctica. Oh yeah, the one who was being tormented by the penguins. Yeah. Who, to be clear, killed 220,000 people. Well, they've also allied <laughs> with Set, who presumably has killed much more than that. Yeah, but Set's funny. He, he is funny. I think that does it for us today. Yeah. Uh, Throne of Fire. It was alright. Read it if you want to. Throne of Fire, throw it in the fire. <laughs> you know, maybe. Uh, next time we'll come back <laughs> for the Servant's Shadow. If you want to check us out on Twitter, then you can do that on Twitter. Uh, Twitter.com slash girls on Twitter at Twitter.com. Uh, if you want to support us too, not on Twitter, you can go on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
rate five stars, leave a review, uh, tell your friends about it. Say, hey, they just finished a book. It's the perfect time to hop on, but also maybe hop on earlier than this. Uh, yeah, if you start a book three of the Kane Chronicles, I have no fucking clue what that experience is going to be like for you. I guess if that's your favorite book and like you're <laughs> just like your favorite book out of all the books there are, then feel free to. I mean, don't actually, because we'll probably shit on it at least a bit. That's probably true. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that our our potential listeners, you know, is is accepting enough to allow us to be a little critical. I would hope so. Uh, and if you want to support us monetarily, you can check us out on patreon.com slash girls. There we have uh, the $1 level. That is the Whittle Doe Being level. You'll be a Whittle Doe Being in our Discord server, which you can also find a link to on our Twitter along with our personal Twitters. I forgot to say that part. Uh, for three dollars a month, you get a uh, big bot energy roll, and also you get access to all of our bonus content. Uh, we talk about many things. Uh, last week we talked pretty much exclusively about robots from uh, Homestuck AI, a uh, cool robot villain in a video game, and also a shitload of Gumpla. That's right. That's right. And for five dollars a month, you get uh, the best headpat pass. Use it wisely. Uh, she's now on a big sunboat, so good luck getting up there. You have to go to the duo to use it, unfortunately. That's right. Uh, and you get all of our bonus content, that special role in the Discord server, and a thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, uh, this week we'd like to thank Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And, as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye.